supermoon of 2021 and it's the strawberry moon so super strawberry moon uh that sounds pretty excellent on summary uh yeah strawberry shortcake strawberries just right in your mouth yeah strawberries it's strawberry time on uh i hope to have my paws full of strawberries soon but uh right now they're they're full of stories uh i'll tell you a love story uh, no, that's that's the name of the book. It's uh, a book of stories by Corey Johnson from Bridge Eight Press, and um, that's what my paws are full of right now. So um, I'll I'll tell you a love story. Um, it's not exactly a love story this one. Um, but actually, uh, it is. It's not your traditional love story. I guess I should stay. Um, anyway, I'm just I'm just gonna get right into this. Uh beautiful dark strange world of Corey Johnson and uh this um this one is called my darling where have you gone which girl lived in a hut made out of tin sheets smelted together deep in the woods there were no other people only animals this was a forest of loss and people can't handle loss as easily as animals and witch girls. Even witch girl could hardly handle it. She grew thinner, day by day. She'd already lost her own fair share by coming to the woods. She had no choice in coming. She was a witch girl, and she belonged to these woods. She'd brought along a cabinet in which she kept things from her life before. From it, she had gone on losing. She lost her mother's knitting needles when Bear had pulled out Otter's nails, and Otter had needed something thin and sharp to pry open oysters with. Her father's lighter she lost to Tiger when Bear had shaved him bald and he'd needed fires to keep him warm through winter. Her brother's kite she lost to Owl when Bear had clipped his wings too short to fly. Loss always happens. It is the nature of things to be lost. Which girl knew this? She was ready and content to blink out of existence piece by piece alongside the keepsakes of her past. But Bear was a problem. He had thrown the timing all off. Which girl thought of this and laid on her bed, counting her ribs? She thought of this as she sat by the cabinet and counted her things. She could feel less ribs than she wanted. She had less things than she should. Soon, she thought, she would have to do something drastic. Just as Witch Girl was thinking this, Bear was waking in his cave to the gnawing. He shook dew off his coat and licked blood off his muzzle. The gnawing was never exactly hunger. It was never exactly loss. 
but it was always there, and each day it was always worse. Bear only knew one way to quiet it. Every animal in the forest knew Cat and Scorpion hated each other. Even though the woods were big enough that they could live in peace without ever having to see each other, they'd chosen dens no more than three feet apart. Cat wouldn't move, and neither would Scorpion. That's just how it is sometimes. Bear left his cave that morning and headed towards them. Along the way, he picked up a rock and tested it between his jaws. Cat, he called outside her den, come out. Why? Cat answered from inside. Cat usually had some sense, but somehow Scorpion always managed to make her lose it. I want to see your claws, Bear said. I think they're the strongest in the forest. And why do you care about that? she asked. It's only that I heard Moose saying the other day that scorpions were stronger, Bear said. Cat came out of her hole. That's a lie, she said. Look. She flexed out her paws, and from their pads emerged her nails, hard and white. Bear sat down. They do look stronger than scorpions could ever be, he said. From the den across the way, Scorpion came scuttling, his claws raised above his head. Not true, he said. Look, just look. He raised them and gave each a snap. It's too bad there's no way to know for sure, Bear said. Unless maybe... Bear trailed off with a shrug. Maybe what? Cat asked. Maybe if we had a contest, Bear said. He rolled the stone out between the two of them. We can see who does the most damage to this rock. To Bear, the rock was a little thing. Nearly nothing at all. Everything seemed like nearly nothing at all. But to Cat, it was larger than her own head. And to Scorpion, it was double the size of his body. This is a trap, Cat said. Well, if you're afraid to lose, I understand, Bear said. He took the rock up in his paw and shrugged. Scorpion snapped his claws and scuttled through the dirt. His mandibles clicked together as he laughed. She is, she is, she is. I am not, Cat said. Then prove it, Bear said, setting the rock back down. You're so eager, you go first, Cat said. Scorpion hesitated, but Bear gave him a nudge towards the rock and a small nod. He reared up and struck it with his tail. He crawled all over it, pinching, stinging, eventually bashing it with his claws and biting it. The rock stayed whole. But Scorpion fell apart. His tail bent until the, until the tip chipped off. His claws cracked and split in two. By the end, he was blood-soaked and broken. He fell back, wheezing. It can't be broken, he said. By you, Cat said. Well, it's your turn now. Let's see you do better, Scorpion said. With a heave of her chest, Cat approached the rock. She circled it, then she sprang on top of it. She clawed and she bit. She did everything she could, everywhere she could. Her teeth shattered and her claws wrenched out of the pads of her feet. She collapsed next to it, blood dripping from her mouth. The rock was fine. You did no better than me, Scorpion said. Shut up, Cat said. I should have eaten you when I had the chance. And I should have stung you, Scorpion said. I hate you. I hate you more than I've ever anything else. There's nothing you can do about it now, Bear said, laughing. He stood and took the rock in his mouth and cracked it in two. Or you could go and see the witch girl, I guess. 
Bear walked away, still laughing. The gnawing in his gut quieted, but still there. Which girl wasn't quite young, and she wasn't quite old. She had been caught in between for almost as long as she could remember. She felt caught in between too much. In between being and not being, in between having and losing, in between sense and nonsense. She wanted to go either one way or the other. She knew she could never be young again, so she supposed it would be better being old. Being old at least meant she would have more sense, and having sense was what witch girls were supposed to do. The animals came to her for sense. They thought sense meant solving their problems. Witch girl thought it meant learning to live with them. But the animals insisted on their way, so witch girl did what she could. Cat and Scorpion dragged themselves to her tin cottage after Bear left them. Cat went to her front door, Scorpion to the back. When she heard them knocking, witch girl checked out her windows and saw them bleeding. She felt like turning them away, but she had never turned anyone away. She let Cat in, then carried Scorpion to the bed. Small things had trouble navigating her house, even when whole. The floors were covered in lost things. Some unimportant, like buttons, socks, lighters. Others more dear. Single pages of long, honest letters. Pocket watches with engraved insides. The last bits of love that burn the brightest before vanishing completely. Lost things were always finding their way to the witch girl, but she couldn't give these to anyone. She had to wait until they were found. When Cat and Scorpion were settled on her bed, she looked them over. What seems to be the problem, she asked. Witch girl always asked. She never assumed. Look at us, Scorpion said. My claws and tail are broken. My teeth, my claws, Cat lisped. Witch girl nodded. I see, she said. Have you tried accepting that they're gone? Cat hissed and raised her back as much as she could. Witch girl sighed and went to her cabinet. Even things you never thought were dear to you can be things that hurt when you lose them, and when you do lose them, they may not be able to be replaced, Witch girl said. What's your point? Scorpion asked. I just want you to be sure, Witch girl said. We are, Cat said. Witch girl reached into the cabinet to the way back. She took out her mother's glass rose and held it in the light so it cast rainbows against her wall. She tried to think of what she lost of her mother and couldn't. She thought of what she still had. That her mother loved colors. That she had painted pictures of their garden, of flowers, of woods that were like these, but also not at all. Then which girl brushed the lost clutter off of her table and laid the rose down. She took a hammer to it. Come here, she said to Cat. When she was done, Cat had glass teeth and glass claws, Scorpion a glass tail and pincers. They were jagged, but they worked. She placed them outside her back door. Loss can be overcome if you have someone else who... Which girl started? Cat bit into Scorpion's neck, and Scorpion buried his tail between Cat's eyes. They both fell down dead on Witch Girl's doorstep. She looked at them for a moment, the sun sparkling against the bloodied glass. She went inside her house and came back out a moment later, dressed in a cloak and carrying a bear trap under her arm. She headed to the river. 
The trick with Cat and Scorpion only gave Bear the slightest relief. Not long after, he felt the gnawing worse than ever. He thought of eating, which could sometimes calm it. He thought of blood, which almost always did. And then Bear saw Dog, bounding between trees, sniffing and wagging his tail. Here, boy, Bear called. Dog raised a cocked head. Come here, Bear called again. Dog came bounding. Which girl set the trap under the leaves along the bank of the river? She hated being out. She hated feeling the sun filter through the trees and land on her skin. She hated seeing a place that was very nearly but never quite the place she had come from. It hurt. But she couldn't put it off any longer. Something had to be done about Bear, regardless of the price. Bear had intended to eat Dog in some way that would be both clever and surprising. He had walked with Dog for some time, trying to piece together how. But while they walked, Bear had been distracted. Dog was amiable, maybe the most amiable animal in the forest, and there were very few animals that would talk to Bear. Without realizing it, Bear had forgotten to plan, forgotten even the gnawing. It's a nice day, Dog had said. Bear found himself agreeing. What should we do? Dog asked. Let's take a walk, Bear said. Dog's tail wagged. Where? he asked. Down by the river, Bear said. We can try to catch some fish. He no longer felt, at the moment, like eating Dog at all. Dog bounded around Bear as they walked, forward and back, in circles, tail wagging and ears up. For Dog, walking with Bear felt like the time before he'd come to the woods, when he had a bed inside, a collar around his neck, and someone to keep his fur clean, to walk near him and to tell him what to do. Dog didn't think Bear was bad, like most of the other animals said. Dog didn't think anyone was bad. It wasn't in his nature to. Bear picked a stick up off the ground and threw. Dog ran after it and brought it back. Bear picked it up and threw it again. They passed the time this way as they walked, Bear watching the simple ease with which Dog ran, the simple joy on Dog's face, and feeling no gnawing or need. Bear threw the stick and Dog ran after it. Then Dog let out a yelp and fell to the ground in a heap, trembling. Bear smelled fresh blood in the air. His stomach blossomed with pain and want. Dog, are you all right? Bear called. I think I'm hurt, Dog said. Could you come help me? I don't think I should, Bear said. I don't know how. Please, Dog said. Bear came closer to Dog. Each step the blood smell was stronger. He could smell torn, fresh meat. Each step the gnawing in Bear grew. He looked at Dog and saw the trap tearing through his hind leg. It's bad, Bear said. You'd better go see the witch girl. I don't think I can move, Dog said. Can you go get her? Bear shook his head. Witch girl and Bear had as little to do with each other as sense and nonsense. You have to do something then, Dog said. Please. All right, Bear said. I'll try. First he knocked Dog out with a blow to the head, and then he clipped off Dog's wounded leg. He broke the tip off one of his claws and took one of his long hairs and sewed the base shut into a nub. He woke Dog with a shake. Dog got up on his three legs and took a few wobbling steps. He looked at Bear without the joy from before, but also without pain. 
I think this will be all right, Dog said. But Bear could only remember Dog the way Dog had been. Easy, bounding, and smiling. This dog wasn't the same. No, Bear said, you're all wobbly. Let me try again. He knocked Dog out and clipped a little of his whole hind leg off. He sewed some of this to the nub. Then he clipped the paw off the mangled leg and sewed that to the end of the other. He woke Dog and Dog stood up, but now his ass end drooped towards the ground and dragged behind him. I can live with this, I guess, Dog said. No, now it's all uneven, Bear said. Let me try again. Again he knocked Dog out. He clipped the front legs. He nibbled some off. He sewed. But the lengths were always off. He cut more. He ate more. He sewed. It was never right. It was never the same as it had been. Soon Dog was nothing more than four paws sewed to the base of his body. He wiggled on the ground and looked up at Bear. This is worse than before, Dog said. Now I have to inch along like a worm. Bear felt the gnawing course through him in great waves. He wanted to pick Dog up and swallow him whole. He nearly did, but when he closed his eyes, he remembered how Dog had looked at him in the eyes and wagged his tail. Well, I've done all I can do. Besides, it's not my problem, not my fault. I didn't have to help, you know, Bear said. I should have known better than to trust you, Dog said. I should have gone to the witch girl. Bear raised a paw, and Dog flinched back. Pain stabbed through Bear's belly. He stood up and lumbered away from the dog. Why don't you then, Bear said. It has nothing to do with me. It took Dog all day to reach the witch girl's hut. By the time he got there, it was dusk. He scratched at the front door, and witch girl opened it and took him in her arms. She laid him on the bed where Cat and Scorpion had sat. What seems to be the problem, she asked. I have no legs, Dog said. They got caught in a trap. Bear tried to set it right, but he couldn't. Witch girl's hand went to her mouth, and she nipped the skin between her thumb and index finger. When she pulled her hand away, it glistened with spittle. A trap, she said. Yes, Dog said. Please say you can help. Have you tried just accepting that they're gone? I did at first, but then it got worse. I don't think I can live like this, he said. He looked at her with begging eyes, the kind of eyes that Dog does best. Witch girl went to the cabinet. She had to reach way back, till her last rib was inside. She took out her father and brother's walking sticks. She could remember very little of them, except that they were tall and they walked with a sense of ease. She laid the sticks across her table and picked up a saw. Some things we lose aren't easily replaced, she said. What? Dog asked. I'm just asking if you're sure, she said, looking at him. He was. She set to sawing the walking sticks in half. She took them to the bed where Dog lay quivering. Knock me out first, Dog asked. I don't want to feel the pain. It would just be waiting for you when you wake up, witch girl said. Bear knocked me out, Dog said. Please. I'm not Bear, witch girl said. She set to work undoing Bear's stitches. She grafted the sticks one after another in Dog's empty sockets, and all the while he yelped and whined. When she was finished, she capped off the sticks with his old paws. He got to his feet and took a few steps. I used to be able to bound, Dog said. Now I move so stiffly. 
Sometimes after loss, life is a little stiffer, which girl said. You'll get used to it. Dog left, his tail and head still drooped. Which girl was used to this? Making sense didn't mean making people happy. She laid back on her bed, closed her eyes, and felt her father and brother dissolving. The gnawing was worse than it had ever been. Just the thought of dog, all paw and no leg, caused it to flare up like millions of tiny teeth trying to chew their way out from beneath his skin. He didn't want to think about dog. He didn't know why he did. It wasn't his problem or his pain, and so it was none of his business. But his mind insisted. It kept insisting. Then it started insisting about others. Cat and scorpion broken to bits. Deer running from him, bleeding from his bite in her haunches. Bird's feathers plucked and scattered across his den. None of these were his problems, he thought. But all of these were his fault, the gnawing answered. He would do anything to make it stop, but every time he quieted it, it came back worse. He couldn't go to Witch Girl. The thought alone made him want to tether the ground between his claws. Besides, she'd never see him. But there were other options for sense in the woods, a different kind of sense, but sense nonetheless, such as Turtle, who lived deep in the marsh, where the mud was thick and black and the fewest animals stayed. Bear made his way towards her, and each step he took, the hole in his belly grew larger, ached more. It was midnight by the time he found the marsh and started wading through the thick mud. It caked his fur, first only up to his knees, but then up to his belly. After a while, he had to hold his snout up so he could breathe. Then he saw Turtle's massive back rising like a hill out of the muck and her two large yellowed eyes. Turtle, I've come for help, Bear said. She was one of the only animals Bear had to look up to in the forest, only one of the few animals larger than Bear. She was as tall as Bear's cave and double the length of Bear himself. Turtle looked at him, blinking slowly, and her limbs crept back into her shell. First her legs, one by one, then her long neck and head, until all she was was a dark cave. Go away, bear. Even I've heard all about you, Turtle said. I'm in pain. I think I'm dying, he said. You can't expect others to stick their necks out for you when you have a reputation for biting off heads, Turtle said. Please, Bear said. Turtle said nothing back. Please, Bear tried again, and nothing came again. The gnawing was a jackhammer in his guts. He felt the seam of himself ready to split open. He did what was in his nature to do. He took a rock up from under the water and stood on his hind legs with it lifted over his head. Just help me, Turtle, Bear said. Don't make me do this. But Turtle wouldn't budge. Bear leapt upon her shell and began to beat her with the rock. With each blow, the gnawing subsided, then roared back to life. Bear struck again, and again, until a crack formed in Turtle's shell. Then it grew, then it started to split open. Turtle finally came out, screaming. A leg shot out and knocked Bear off into the water. He struck his head on a rock and floated there unconscious. Turtle dragged herself forward through the swamp, leaving Bear behind and heading for the witch girl. 
Which girl didn't sleep so much as drift, off to other places and times, or more often than not, to nowhere, just white space stretching on forever? Before, when she first came to the woods, she would find herself drifting back home, to the place where her mother, father, and brother still lived. She would watch them do what they always had done, unable to be seen or heard or touched and comforted. In the early days, they were as vivid as she was plump and solid. But piece by piece, bits of them fell away until her mother had no face, her brother's hair lost its color, her father's voice warped into static. Finally, they were just smears of color, suggestions of people, and nothing more. This was worse than the white ache of nothing. It was to the not-home home that she'd gone when Dog left. She had watched the color swatches sitting at their table, moving in ways that were almost familiar, hearing muffled voices echo at her as if she were submerged in water. Then she was pulled back out by the earth quaking. The woods are falling apart, she thought. She was on her feet before the world she lived in had clearly taken shape, making her way to the window and staring out it with a rare smile on her face. Outside, the night was clear and the woods were whole, but the ground shook again. A swatch of trees bent forward and snapped. Turtle was coming. Her eyes rolled back in her head and foam coating her beak, parting the trees like long grass. Turtle's shell was coming off her back in huge chunks and tumbling to the ground. Witch girl ran out of her shack to meet her. "'Bear's killed me! He's killed me! Quick help!' Turtle said, dragging herself to a stop near the witch girl's back door. "'What?' Witch girl started to ask, but Turtle let out one long, whistling scream. Witch girl turned back around and stepped over the bodies of Cat and Scorpion into her house. She reached inside her cabinet all the way back. She had to climb in to search the dark corners. But it was no use. Only witch girl was in the cabinet and nothing more. She came back out. I don't have anything for you. I'm sorry, she said. Give me your home, Turtle said. It'll do. But it's all I have, witch girl said. And my life is all I have, Turtle replied. It's such a shabby home, but it'll be the perfect shell. Even if you don't think you love something, it still hurts to lose it, witch girl said. You can build a new one, Turtle said. Sometimes a lost thing can't truly be replaced, witch girl said. I'll lose my life if you don't give me your home, Turtle said. But you've had your life for such a long time, and I've only had my home for a short time, witch girl said. And doesn't time make something much more dear, Turtle asked. Witch girl felt her insides crumple, hollow and weak as a used-up tin can. She had no pieces of home left. She had no self left. She had no sense left. I don't know, she said. I don't know because I've never been allowed to have anything for very long. Give me your home and I'll give you some sense you can keep forever, Turtle said. Witch girl looked up at her at the torn, exposed muscle under her shell, at her yellow, crusted eyes reflecting witch girl back at herself, neither young nor old, nor wise or dumb, nor here or there, just something temporary on its way to being nothing. Okay, witch girl said, take it. Turtle shook the last of her shell off and in a blink of an eye stuffed herself into the tin hut. 
She popped her legs out the windows, her head and tail through the doors. She stood, pulling the tin sheets out of the ground with one quick tearing sound. Seal it up, Turtle said. Give me the sense, which girl said. After. So which girl went round, beating the tin into Turtle's stomach plate until it was fixed tight. When it was finished, Turtle looked her over with an expression somewhere between pity and disgust. This is the greatest bit of sense you'll ever hear, so listen carefully, Turtle said. Which girl listened, her hands held out before her as if she could catch Turtle's words and keep them forever, even if most things aren't meant to be kept. Other people's problems are the problems of other people, Turtle said. Then she started on her way home. Which girl's hut rocking on her back, spilling out bits of splintered wood, lost lighters, and crumpled pages of love letters and grocery lists. Which girl watched her go, breath hitching in her shallow chest. When Turtle was no more than a speck, which girl dropped down to her knees next to Cat and Scorpion? What the fuck, she asked. Bear woke in the marsh and felt the gnawing ripping open his ribs. He got to his feet, and having nowhere to go, followed the trail of Turtle's body through the marsh and woods. Which girl had no home? She looked around at the floor, cluttered with broken, lost things, and her bed split in half, and having nowhere to go, walked towards anywhere else. At the river, the witch girl and the bear met for the first time since the witch girl first arrived, and all the animals had been present to welcome her. That was either a not-so-long time ago or a not-very-short time ago. Bear couldn't remember, and neither could the witch girl. Bear thought which girl looked thinner. She looked like she had dissolved. Which girl thought Bear looked bloated, like a balloon on the edge of bursting. Which girl finished her look at Bear and dropped down to sit on the bank of the river. Bear came to sit next to her. Which girl, I need your help, he said. Other people's problems are the problems of other people, she said. Go away. You smell like dying, witch girl. What are you doing out of your home, Bear asked. Turtle took it after you wrecked her shell. I have nothing now, and it's all your fault, witch girl said. So I am your problem, and not someone else's, Bear said. He laid his head on her lap, and witch girl felt the mud of the marsh ooze out of his fur and threw her clothes to chill her belly. Cat and Scorpion are dead. After you tricked them, I replaced the broken bits with glass, and they sunk that glass deep into each other, witch girl said and wound her fingers in Bear's fur. Then it was you who killed them by giving, Bear said, and it had nothing to do with me. I was only fixing, witch girl said, pulling Bear's hair. Well, what did it fix? Bear growled. He lifted his head up so they were looking eye to eye. At least they had each other, witch girl. Who do I have? No one, not even dog. You ate all of his legs, witch girl said. But you set the trap, Bear said. It was for you, because all you do is destroy, all you do is take, witch girl said. I can't help it, witch girl. Bear put his face close to hers and bared his teeth so she could see herself reflected in them, a dozen thinning blurs of a once girl. There's a gnawing inside of me. I'm hungry, witch girl, so hungry. Hunger's no excuse, witch girl said. And how would you know? Why aren't you hungry? You're all alone, too. Why don't you feel it? 
Bear asked. I never said I didn't, which girl said, taking one of Bear's long teeth in her hand and running her thumb over it. Do you want to see it? Bear asked. Which girl nodded and let go of his tooth. Bear rose up to his hind legs and stood before her. He touched a claw to his belly, and it split open as if along a seam. He opened his insides to her. Which girl saw his ribs, heart, lungs, and blood? And behind it all, she saw the gnawing. Which girl reached her arms into Bear? She reached way back, further than she could go, until her feet slipped inside, and she was snug among his organs. She took the gnawing in her lap. Does it hurt? Which girl asked. Stay there, Bear said. With one long hair, the bear sewed himself back up with witch girl inside. He dropped down to his feet and walked. He walked far enough that he reached the end of the woods, and then he walked on. He walked so long that witch girl slipped into his tissue, his bone and blood, until she was as much bear as witch or girl. Now in the woods, there is no witch girl, no hut filled with lost things. No place for you to go when you need to search for something dear. It's gone now, into the belly of the bear. Bury the secret inside 
That was Katie Benoit with Rules. Wolf's Wake The Queen of All Magic lived in a studio apartment on Fifth Ave. Last time I went to see her, she was looking a little worn around the eyes. Baby doll, she said, bring me some aspirin. So I did. Her bathtub was always full to the brim with water, murky as the bayou, complete with big fat lily pads big as my head floating in the water. Underneath, there were scaled creatures sliding around on top of each other, mouths puckering at the surface asking for something to eat. Sometimes they were long black bass, and sometimes they were fat speckled goldfish, but always they were hungry. The aspirin was in the medicine cabinet behind the belladonna and the milkweed. She took two with a shot of bourbon. The queen of all magic didn't have any couches or chairs. She was sitting on the floor next to a low table, all the lights dimmed, but not so much that I couldn't see her clear as day. "'You been crying?' I asked her, and she looked at me from under heavy lids and blinked really slow. "'Cause of what happened?' "'What do you know about what happened?' she said, pouring more bourbon in her cup. I shared blood with the queen of all magic. Everyone does in some small way, which means everyone also shares blood with each other.' They just forget that sometimes, Queen said. But me and Queen's blood was weaved together tight. My great-grandmother was her sister. I know Wolf is dead, I said, putting my hands in the pockets of my overalls and looking up at the carpet hanging on her wall. It was a heavy one, showing all the faces of the moon man knows, and behind them some of the secret ones men could just guess at. Queen knew them all by name and she'd teach him to me by whispering him in my ear at night when I slept. Yeah, he's dead all right, Queen said, her voice steady as iron. Got his brains blown out, huffing and puffing around the wrong hussy's house. She sipped her bourbon and fished a cigarette out of the pack on her table. She stared at the wall for a long time before tucking it in her mouth and lighting it. Sometimes Queen and Wolf ran around together, and sometimes they didn't. Times they were tight as the sun and the moon, laughing and playing with the universe together. Other times they were at each other's throats, Wolf going too far and Queen having to mop up after him. Always, though, they loved each other in their way. They were each other's everything, even when they were fooling around with somebody else, which was more often than not. The Queen of All Magic was like a flower you'd find deep in a marsh, barbed but beautiful, too. You never knew if touching her would end up getting you poisoned, but you had to do it anyway. And Wolf was the handsomest man in town, in his own crooked way. You gonna fix it? I asked. Ain't nothing left to fix this time, Queen said, blowing smoke out of her nose. It gathered in the air just above her head, and I saw inside it the shape of the universe folding in on itself, everything and everyone coming to a close. You mean that? I asked tilting my head at her and slitting my eyes. Sometimes Queen didn't fix things because she thought they ought not to be fixed, like my marks at school and the poorness of the people on the streets. She said we had to fix them ourselves with our own hands. There's only so much magic, she'd tell me, and I can't go wasting it on every little thing. I'd tell her that my bad marks were half her fault because she's the one who taught me all I knew, like the time I put down on a history test that people, just like all the continents, were one big thing until slowly we all started to erode and drift away from one another. The teacher said it wasn't time for poetry. 
Queen just laughed when I told her. Other times she didn't fix things because they couldn't be fixed, like when my mama got cancer the second time, and we all just had to stand by and watch her wither. I near hated Queen then, but Grandma made me see reason after some time. I mean it, the Queen of All Magic said, her voice dropping like a brick. The next time I see that dirty bastard will be when our skeletons are dancing together in the next life. She swilled the rest of her bourbon down and stubbed out her cigarette. She reached down the front of her dress and pulled out a stack of bills. Run on down to the store and buy us some party favors, said Queen. Get everyone together at the usual spot. I feel like celebrating. I took the money, but I could spot the lie. I was young, but not an idiot. Sometimes adults mix those two things up. Even the queen of all magic, who usually knew better. What do you want, I asked her, and she gave me a list. First, I stopped at the corner store and passed him Queen's note with all the liquor she asked for. He looked it over, then looked down his nose at me. He was an old guy, one of the ones who could remember Queen in her prime. Back then, I'd been told, puddles used to part so she could pass through, and the rain only fall when she said so. Her and Wolf could go out drinking and hit every bar without having to pay a single dime. "'She taking Wolf's death okay?' asked the old man. There was concern in his voice, and maybe a little jealousy and longing, too. Maybe, I thought, he was one of Queen's runaround dudes back in the day. They always wore their age a little different. Kept something like a star twinkling right behind their eyes. I looked for one in his, but he darted his eyes down and scanned the list. "'Tell her I'll have it to her by eight. Tell her it's on the house,' he said, pocketing the paper and turning away. Next, I went to the grocer and ordered the meat. Along the way, I stopped and told this person and that, lounging on their steps or walking down the street, about the party. Queen's having a get-together, I'd tell them, and they'd stop whatever they were doing and do a double-take. Tonight, they'd say, and I'd nod. With each person I told, the excitement built a little bit more in the air till the whole neighborhood was buzzing. By the time I got to the grocer, the news had already gotten ahead of me. I'd stopped to tell someone, but they'd cut me off, asking if it were true. All I had to do eventually was nod my head. At the grocer's, I ordered the ribs and the beef and the fish. It was the most I had ever seen Queen order, but the grocer didn't seem surprised. He just wrote them all down with a little nod of his head like this was business as usual. At the end, he smiled, gave me a sucker for free, and pinched my cheek. You sure do look like Queen when she was young, he said. You ain't never seen her young, I said back. Anyone who did is already dead. He laughed and shook his head. She's always young, or at least she looked young enough. Now go on and get out of here. I'll see you at the party. I unwrapped the sucker and stuck it in my mouth, tripped on out of the store, grinning, forgetting for just a minute that Wolf was dead. Parties will do that to you. For a moment, everything is weightless and everyone is alive and laughing. How I heard it told is like this. Queen and Wolf were the only two babies born on the day, years and years ago, that the moon and the sun blocked each other out twice. Wolf was born during that first eclipse in the morning, when the moon drifted over the sun and sat there for one straight hour like she was never going to move. Then that night, right before the stroke of twelve, Queen was born when the sun came back and got his revenge. People said they knew right then and there that they were a special pair. More than lovers, more than brothers and sisters, more than any blood could ever be, they were tied at the soul, 
There were 16 hours between their births, and they always celebrated them together with one long party, going from 9 in the morning to 12 at night. Then they'd stumble off together drunk as skunks, no matter if they were running around together or with some other folk. That's just how it was. People understood, even if sometimes they were a little jealous. Queenie and Wolf, they were two sides of one coin. Until Wolf died that morning in some girl's bed. Her and her husband weren't from around here. They were new. Guess they didn't understand the score like we do. That putting a bullet through Wolf's head was like blowing apart one of the last halves of the magic and rightness in the world. It wasn't exactly the first time he had died, but it was the last. The party was held near the peat bogs, one of Queen's favorite places, where you can't tell for sure if you're stepping on solid ground or if it'll give way at any moment and you'll go tumbling down into the wet swamp. People came with lawn chairs and coolers and barbecues were lined up to make one great train where folks took turns cooking the meat and wandering off to get drunk. The whole ward was there, even the girl Wolf had been in bed with when he got his head shot off. Everyone got real quiet when she showed up, her eyes puffy and her nose red. But Queen walked up to her, put an arm around her, and offered her a plate of sloppy ribs. Everyone relaxed when the girl sunk her teeth into him, and then laughed when she asked if we were sure it was safe partying on the wetlands. Sure it's safe, honey, one of the men said, so long as you watch out for gators. Everyone laughed again, and the girl ducked her head, not sure if she was being made fun of or if she was supposed to laugh along. Clarence, you fool, don't you go spooking the poor thing, Queen said, batting the air with her hand and shooting him daggers. She'd been through enough today. It's safe as houses, dear. Just watch where you put your feet and don't go too close to the edge. Queen gave her shoulder a squeeze and moved off through the crowd. I made my way across the soggy earth to her and cocked my eyebrows, asking what she was up to. Poor thing don't have any kin now that the cops snagged up her husband, Queen said, piling some chicken onto a paper plate and shoving it into my hands. So don't give me that look. Ain't her fault in the end. Wolf reaps what wolf sows, and ain't a woman alive with any sense that would have turned him down, married or not. A soft smile came to Queen's face. She already looked younger than she was, but somehow she managed to drop ten more years when she smiled like that. And she only smiled like that when she thought of Wolf. Or me, I guess. Let's sit down and eat together, precious, and talk about how life is hanging. And so we did. For a good half hour of the party, Queen sat with me and listened to just me, which is a real honor. And because she was listening, other people did too, until everyone there was asking me questions about my last test, or where I got my shoes, or what I did to my hair. Queen could do that, pluck you up and make you a star, redirect all her light your way so you could feel what it's like to be that warm. That's probably how Wolf made that girl feel, good enough that she forgot all the little details of her life were just that, little. Not long after, everybody was feeling good, drunk or not. The sun started setting and people started lighting lanterns and hanging them up so all around the bog it looked like fairies were floating just above the water, darting in and out of the trees. People started playing music, dancing, and telling stories. Remember that time Wolf won all the money on that gambling boat? Even won the boat, too? Queen found out he cheated it right out from under everyone's noses. So when he went to sleep off his drunk on his new boat, she sunk it. He woke up just in time. Said he opened his eyes because he thought he wet the bed, and instead finds he's waist-deep in water, and all his winnings are, too. 
Remember when Wolf swam the river in the winter just to prove he could? And he got so cold he died of pneumonia right after? It was to win back Queenie, wasn't it? From some big city fella who said he was in the Olympics? And it worked, too. She kissed his fool ass back to life. That's not how it went, is it? It was the city cat that swam the river and died, right? Queen just smiled at their stories. Never told them herself or changed them. She let them rewrite them as they pleased. Stories, she told me, have lives of their own. The teller and the listener give them their own meaning. So when they're being told, what's really being said says more about who's saying it and who's hearing it than it does about the people in the story, even when it's about you. All the stories were about Wolf, and since they were about Wolf, they were mostly also about Queen. But I also knew they were about us, all of us there. Soon Queen got up after she'd listened to enough stories about Wolf, and she started dancing. She danced beautiful, weaving in and out of the other dancers and taking whoever's hand she pleased. She danced with everyone there, even the girl who'd seen Wolf died. I stood up and danced with her once or twice, and she lifted me in the air and spun me around. I love you, little girl, she said. She didn't say it often. She didn't have to, but it felt good hearing it. Then she sat me down. By this point, everyone was drunk or falling asleep on their feet or both, so it's never told clearly. I know Queen would say that's all right, that they're just telling it the way it is for them. The most popular story, the one that makes the most sense to people now and got run in the paper, is that she fell into the water sometime around midnight and she was so drunk she drowned. That's the one that would be true if she weren't the queen of all magic. Another, and this is the one the locals tell, is that she got snapped up by a big white gator that was waiting in the water just for her. They saw it rear up and take her in its mighty jaws. But this is my story, and I know what the truth is because I watched it. I had my eyes right on Queen and could see her clear as day as always. She was dancing further and further away from everyone, out towards the water. When she got to the very edge, the surface of it rippled, and out came a big white head, and then shoulders, and then arms and legs, until a skeleton was standing atop the bog. It was Wolf. I could tell because of the cap he had set on his head. He always wore it tilted just so. Queen took his hand, and he spun her round, and off they danced onto the water. I had made my way right to where Queen was standing when he swooped her off, and I alone watched. Everyone else was laughing and drinking and too caught up in their own fun. As they danced, I saw Wolf rebuild himself piece after piece until he was all flesh. I thought then that they would head back to us, yell surprise and laugh together at how they fooled us. But they kept dancing. Queen spun around and around, and each time I could see her face, she was grinning. Until after a moment, her face was nothing but a grin. Her skin was gone, her muscle gone, and she was bare naked, a skeleton just like Wolf had been, and was again. They danced further and further away, and just as they were nearly out of sight, I saw her one last time raise her hand up and wave to all the people on the land who weren't looking, and then once for me. And then she and Wolf were gone, and we never did see them again. But out by the bog during the right kind of summer night, if there's a real good party going on, every now and then I hear something like a laugh, see something like shadows dancing across the water.
That was Katie Benoit with The Cliff. I hope you enjoyed those stories by Corey Johnson. Uh, I know I I enjoyed them. Uh, They're from her book, I'll Tell You a Love Story, uh, which has a lot of other terrific stories in it that uh, I don't have time to read you. So you should pick up your own copy of this book, which has a beautiful cover. There's a bear on it and a a wolf and a curlew. Um, So... uh, you can, uh, you can get your, your paws on your own copy. Uh, it's put out by um, Bridge 8 Press, and they're at bridge8.com. And you can find out more about Corey Johnson and her work at her website, coreyjohnson.com. That's C-O-U-R-I-J-O-H-N-S-O-N.com. I guess it's time for a little mosaic. And today's Snack Size interview is with our featured musician, Katie Benoit. Katie Benoit is a musician and author based in Missouri. For the last 20 years, she has created and produced music under her own name, as well as Sheedy J, 69 Susans, Equals the Raven, Katie Turner, and DJ K-A-T, DJ Jinx. She lives in St. Louis, Missouri with her wife and fur kid. And... Thank you to Katie for answering some questions for the Violet Hour. One, what is your earliest memory related to summer? The first memory that comes up from any summer is going to a pool in Ava, Missouri, where my grandparents lived. I was about 12 and made friends with a couple of other girls who lived in the town, Tammy and Becky. We kept up our friendship for a few years via snail mail. This was pre-internet but eventually we dropped off each other's radar. I haven't found them online at all, but I hope they're doing well. Two, if you were giving a slideshow of your current obsessions, what images would be projected and what sound would accompany each? My obsessions include retro games like Super Mario Brothers, Super Mario Brothers theme, Japanese culture represented by Atori, Sakura Drops by Utada Hikaru, LGBTQIA plus rights, symbolized by a flag found at dezine.com. If you go to dezine, D-E-Z-E-E-N.com, just search for Daniel Quasar, Q-U-A-S-A-R, and you will find the flag. And Born This Way by Lady Gaga for that one. And Japanese RPG games like Final Fantasy and Persona with their respective logos. 
Final Fantasy Prelude or Life Will Change from Persona 5? Three, what is your songwriting process and creative practice like? Also, you have different projects and different names you record and publish under. Can you talk about what those are, how you approach them, and how they relate to each other, and what moderate potato multimedia is? I don't have a specific process when it comes to songwriting. I do keep a journal of interesting song lyrics that come to mind. Rarely is it in the form of a complete song. For my mainstream music, I usually have a melody in mind, or I may be inspired by a royalty-free sound that I've downloaded, then I build around the melody. Lyrics sometimes come to me once I've completed some of the instruments. If they don't, then I will go through lyrics and see if I can find something to fit. Sometimes I'll come back to an instrumental and lyrics will come to me later on. With my more experimental music as 69 Susans, there is a less formal process. It tends to be more spontaneous and random due to the nature of the music. Moderate Potato is simply a faux record label I created because so many label titles have already been taken. I simply threw a couple of random words together to make a title. It can also represent the randomness and experimental nature of some of my music. 4. What are your favorite words associated with the body, with silence, with sound? Body. Rubenesque. Frenetic. Supple. Silence. Voicelessness. Reticence. Hush. Sound. Garrulous. Resonate. Reverberate. 5. If you were writing a personal dictionary of dream symbols and their meanings, what would half a dozen sample entries be? I frequently have driving dreams where I can't control the vehicle. I interpret that as being afraid of my life being out of control. I also have a lot of journey dreams where I'm trying to get through a building, such as a school or an 80s-style mall. I see them as trying to find my place in the world. Dreams of me dying seem to be my mind coming to grips with the mortality of the meat bodies we have been assigned. Being unable to perform on stage is also another type I have. I think I'm concerned about not being able to create at all. I went through a decade of writer's block while coming to terms with how my coming out as a trans woman affected my music. Bonus. If you were a stuffed animal, what would you be? I would probably be an oddly colored rodent of some sort. For me, creativity is about taking inspiration from older things and scrounging around to make something new out of them. Thank you to Katie for sharing her music and thoughts. If you want to find out more about Katie Benoit and her music and projects, you can check out her website at katiebenoitmusic.com. That's K-A-T-I-E-B-E-N-O-I-T music.com. And you can find her music on Bandcamp at moderatepotato.bandcamp.com. And that's potato with an E at the end. Knock, knock. Hi, Miss Mousie. It's me. Oh, Mr. Bear, what are you doing here? Uh, you know, I'm back for the full moon in uh, June. It's the uh, strawberry supermoon. Mr. Bear, you've got to be kidding me. It can't be time for the full moon already. Uh, yeah, you know, time just flies by. Mr. Bear, you were just here. We were just talking about lilacs. It was just the new moon. Uh, yeah, I know, Miss Mousie. Um, it's, it's not actually, uh... 
the strawberry supermoon yet. Uh, but I'm I'm traveling and uh you know I don't want to take my microphone, so I'm trying to get the show done ahead of time. So if you could just pretend with me, because you know when this comes out, it will be the strawberry supermoon. So we can just pretend, right? Oh, okay. I guess, Mister Bear, you really, really took me by surprise there. I just really couldn't believe that it was already the full moon. But um, okay. Since since you're traveling, um, well, you know, shouldn't you finish packing? What are you even doing here? Uh, yeah. Well, you know, I just I just wanted to uh, you know, stop by and see you before I left. Uh, and you know, and pretend that it's the strawberry supermoon because uh it will be when when people are listening oh okay you know you know what, mr bear um i i think um let's talk about lemon balm okay um lemon balm is just super lovely and gentle and sweet uh really a relaxing nervine and lifts your spirits and is super easy to grow in the garden uh yeah we we have some uh I got some outside and you have some here don't you, yeah um just smell this, mm, it's just divine, um and it just it makes a lovely tea or you can infuse it in honey, or you know tincture throw it in a jar pour some vodka over it, you know a month later uh, you gotta you know shake it now and again and then uh, strain it out and um you have um I call it lift me up tincture. Oh uh, yeah. Um, do you have any of that lift me up tincture handy? Um, I I could use a little little relaxing and lifting up. Sure, Mister Bear. I'll go get you some. Here you go. Just you know, take a dropper full as you need it. Um, you know, it might help you on the plane relax a little bit. I don't know. Um, or you know, help you get some sleep maybe. Oh uh, yeah, I could I could use some sleep. Uh. Thanks so much, uh, Miss Mousy. So this is lemon balm. Yeah, Melissa officinalis is the um, the uh, scientific name, um, and Melissa means bee in Greek. So um, you know, honeybees love this plant too. Oh, that's that's really cool to know. Uh, lemon balm. Um, and I I also love to make iced tea with it um, in the summertime. Um, just put some fresh lemon balm in a jar and cover it with water and put it out in the sun. And um, I guess that's sun tea. And then, um, you know, put it in the fridge to chill or pour it, pour it over ice. And it's just really refreshing uh, when, when it's hot out. And uh, it's going to be really hot out because it's summertime. Oh, uh, yeah. Happy, happy summer uh, and all and all that. Um, Mr. Bear, you sound, you seem really tired. I think you should go wrap up the show and, um, get on your trip and, um, you know, and, uh, yeah, well, it's the strawberry supermoon. Um, so everyone have a great strawberry supermoon and, um, um, bye Mr. Bear. I've, I've got a lot to do. So, um, if, you know, uh, I'll see you, um, for the new moon next month, but let's, let's make it the real one. Okay. Oh, okay, Miss Mousy. Oh, sorry to mix you up like this. It's no problem, Mr. Bear. Um, I'm going to take some lemon balm, too, and go relax. Um, and uh, we'll see you next time. Okay. Bye, Miss Mousy. Bye, Mr. Bear. And don't forget to remind your listeners, I'm just a hand-drawn two-dimensional rodent studying herbalism. All right. See you next time.
was 69 Susans, a project of Katie Benoit's, with My Mother's Dreams. And that's the show. Uh, thanks so much for spending a little time with me in the Violet Hour. Uh, hope you're all having a great start to your summer on a beautiful strawberry supermoon. And uh, I'll be back with you in July. So uh, take care and be kind to each other. Theme song and show music by Sugar Whiskey. Mr. Bear and Miss Mousie believe in radical love and kindness, in mutual aid, and empowering ourselves and our communities. Together we can dismantle the white, racist, colonizing, misogynistic, capitalist, homophobic, transphobic, ableist patriarchy. This podcast was recorded on Potawatomi, Kickapoo, Miami, Sioux, and Peoria land. Text your zip code or city comma state to 907-312-5085 and find out whose land you're living on. Uh, You can also go to land.codeforanchorage.org for more information. There's also a helpful map at native-land.ca. This is just the first step in developing a land acknowledgement. Let's learn our history and honor the land and indigenous peoples, past, present, and future. This podcast was produced in collaboration with the Boston Free Radio Podcast Network, part of bostonfreeradio.com and Somerville Media Center, Somerville's longest-running public access media center that enables a vibrant and diverse community to express its creativity, explain its ideas, share its cultures, and foster the individual right to freedom of speech. Learn more about Somerville Media Center at somervillemedia.org or check out some of the other amazing Boston Free Radio podcasts and radio shows at bostonfreeradio.com. Thanks for listening.